This week, Christ City, we will continue in our series here in 1 John, and we have reached 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it for you. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. (laughs) You are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray, Christ City. God, we thank you and we praise you for this text. We thank you and for giving us a metric to to evaluate what comes from you and what doesn't. So Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, and help us to discern well this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Now, some of you may have noticed, for whatever reason, I have weird stories. In fact, I'm actually a weird story magnet. I'm a weird person magnet. So bear with me. I would like to share you a weird story to illustrate uh, this text this morning. Now, for those of you who are new, uh, who do not know myself or my family, uh, we were missionaries in Greece for almost 10 years. We did refugee work and we did church planting in inner city Athens. And after our first three-year uh, term or stint, we came home on what is called a home assignment. Now, it's not a holiday. I must clarify that. It's not a holiday. It's where you pack your whole family up in a car and you spend six months traveling around visiting every church, every supporter, every individual that's ever prayed for you or given money to you to support your work. It's a grueling six months. And usually when you arrive back on the field, you're actually more tired than when you left. So we borrow a car. We travel six hours, and we show up Sunday morning to a friend of mine's church. Now, I would describe this church, it's charismatic, but I would describe it as super charismatic. And I knew that going in, but nothing really quite prepared me for what I was about to encounter this Sunday. So we get to the church, we sit at the back, and the service begins. It's loud, and it's lively, and it's entertaining, and it's fun. But all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I hear this cacophony of noise, and I can only describe it as about 50 howler monkeys meets a town hall protest. And these kids are running circles around the church with flags, waving, screaming, and yelling. So my son, who's nine years old at the time, he looks at me and like with fear in his eyes. You have to remember, this kid lived inner city Athens with riots and protests. And he's like, Dad, do we have to have an escape route here? So I'm like, no, dude, it's okay. It's just part of the thing. And so we get going. And after four or five more songs... Um, my friend, the pastor, gets up in front and he reads a story from Matthew chapter 14. If you're new, uh, you've never read this story in the Bible. It's a story where Jesus, uh, the disciples are rather in a boat and the storm comes and Jesus walks on water to meet them. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus. So he reads this story, my friend, and then he says this. Does anyone have a prophetic word from God this morning in this text to share with us? Now, after a few minutes of awkward silence, a man gets up to the front, and for 15 minutes, he articulates and explains from his point of view what this text means and what God is saying to us. And kind of like something doesn't sit right in my brain. I'm like, okay. Then another lady gets up and says something completely different, completely opposite, and actually contradicts the first guy. 
And by this time, the hackles on my neck are going wild, and I'm thinking, like, you know, your spidey senses are tingling. I know something's wrong. Three more people, and an hour later, all of these individuals are sharing different stories from different backgrounds, all relating it to the text, all saying that it's from God. The problem is, it was like they were not saying right things about Jesus. So my daughter, 12 years old at the time, she looks at me and she says, Dad, can they do that? Can they actually say those things about Jesus? So I stand up and I do something that no guest preacher should ever do. I walk to the front, I grab the mic, and I rebuke the congregation. Yeah, don't do that at home, children. The problem is, is that each person, in some way or another, diminished the work and the role of Jesus Christ. It became about them. It became about us in the boat. It didn't become about Jesus, but it came about them. So I, I articulated to them, and I read to them Matthew 14, 33, where it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I qualified it by saying, Look, any prophetic word, any prophetic word that says Jesus is less than the Son of God is not actually from God. Then I sit down. Another half an hour or so of random chaos ensues. And my friend comes up to me after the service and says, Oh, sorry, dude, we didn't get a chance to, to speak about Greece. Uh, do you want to come back next week? I'm like, dude, I traveled eight or six hours to get here. No. I thanked him for the time and, I, and we left. And I never went back to that church. And the church eventually ceased to exist. Christ City, as weird as this example is, as strange as it is, this fits exactly what John is talking to us in our text today. You see, the Christian community that John is writing to here this morning was flooded with contradictory prophetic messages and they were struggling to understand, was this from God or was this from God? And by default, they were accepting everything in like a sponge. They accepted and believed everything was from God, even if it wasn't. So I must pause here and I must state outright, a world where, spiritual, where the spiritual and the physical meet and interact is a world that was common to John. It was common to John. It was expected and it was normative. Us in our culture and our society, it's less so. In fact, in fact, as my story illustrates, this is actually strange for us, even for some of us in different Christian contexts. So if you called yourself a Christian, the realm of tongues, prophetic things, we sometimes put it in a box and we put it up here and we don't know really what to do with it, particularly if you're more conservative, and, and then we live our life over here. But it's there, but we live our life here. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning and you're on this call, this talk of spiritual reality is really odd, isn't it? I get it. It's odd. Our culture, though, our culture at large, the battle that is spiritual is completely ignored. And it, at its best, really, it's kind of irrelevant to us. Or at worst, it's uh, you know, fodder for B-rated horror movies. The question is, is how do we measure the realm of spirituality? Because if we, if we measure by you know, empirical data, the spiritual world is anything but... Despite that, though, collectively we as humanity, particularly in Vancouver, have a, a residual fascination with the spiritual, don't we? We love nature. We see spiritual things in nature. It's, it's betrayed by the, the shows we watch, the books we read, and why, you know, Elon Musk sends roadsters to Mars. We want to know, is there anything out there? My wife works at a bookstore on Commercial Drive, and a genre that's always a bestseller, if you ask her, it would be spirituality and self-help. There is such a thing, Christ City, as a Vancouver spirituality. John is saying here in our text that there is a real danger here to ascribe and attribute any and unusual phenomena, spiritual or otherwise, to the work and the power of God. 
he reminds his readers this morning, and he informs us today that not every spiritual interaction is from God, claimed to be from God. If it, it, every in spiritual interaction is not from God, and we have to discern. So the question then becomes for us this morning is, how does one discern what is from God and what is not from God? As John describes it in our text, how do we discern truth from error? So our outline will be simple this morning. What does John say? What rubric does he give us to discern? And lastly, what do we do with this? So if we turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John lovingly reminds his readers that there is a spiritual reality, a reality that exists. And secondly, from that, it is possible. It is possible without proper discernment to actually be deceived and to hoodwinked into thinking that some spiritual phenomena is from God when it isn't. Thankfully, John doesn't leave us hanging. And he gives us a rubric or three tests to kind of ascertain this. First is the test to see what the spiritual reality is underneath. Then from that, how do we test those that speak? And lastly, how do we test those that listen to them? The first one is, is the test for the spiritual underneath John's test here to discernment, determine rather, spiritual reality is Christological in nature. What do I mean by that? I mean, John says that the test revolves around the person, the work of Jesus Christ, Son of God, come in the flesh. Now, if you want to know more what Christology means, we have a whole sermon series preached last fall. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Verse 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then in verse 3, he states it negatively. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now in the world already. Simply put, John is saying that you can know. You can know what a spiritual encounter is by whether what is proclaimed about Jesus, who he is, and how he's died and come to the earth to save us. God in flesh, born of a virgin, crucified under Pontius Pilate, was raised from the dead and is ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. That proclamation is what we will celebrate two weeks from now at Easter. John says that if something or someone claims to be from God and does not proclaim this set of truths from God and denies Jesus, well, that truth, that word, that experience, that interaction spiritually is in fact something far more sinister. And John attributes it directly to this thing he calls the Antichrist, which is essentially a spiritual reality in opposition to Jesus. Christ City, hear me clearly. This is how my, in my introductory story, my, my 12-year-old daughter could actually discern, could question and can ask, Dad, is this right? This is how she could understand what was from God and what wasn't because they didn't articulate the work and person of Jesus Christ. This is the same reason why I got up and spoke. I read a book a while ago by author Rod Dreher in his book, Live Not By Lies, and it's discussing this issue of soft totalitarianism and, and how we resist in the face of, of persecution. He says, interestingly enough, relates to our, our text this morning, he says, the important lesson to draw is that a creed of one holds as a statement, not of one's subjective feelings, but as a description of objective reality. It's a priceless possession. It tells you how to discern truth from lies. And for those whose creed is Christianity, then in the face of ubiquitous hatred and cruelty, faith is evident that truth, the real reality, is the eternal love of God. 
This is the reason why I was compelled to stand up and rebuke a whole church. It wasn't based on my subjective feelings. It wasn't sort of internal compass that said, oh, that's not right. No, I'm not the hero of the story. Jesus is. Jesus is. My actions were based out of an objective truth and the reality of the eternal love of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ who came in flesh, who died, and they subtly denied that. This brings us to the second part of John's rubric. After giving us clarity on how to discern, determine rather uh, what the spiritual reality is behind something, he gives us then a criteria to discern the origin of the people who are saying these things. Look at verses 4 and 5. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. John affirms that those who confess that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come into the flesh, he affirms that their origins are from God. We've seen all the way through 1 John, we've seen this. We are his children. We abide in him. We've looked at this in the past weeks. And if we are God's children then, the Spirit is in us, and we have overcome because the Spirit that was in us is vastly superior to anything that's in the world, and particularly the Antichrist. Stated ne negatively, rather, John says that those who deny Jesus, those that deny Jesus, they are from the world. It's a hard word to hear. They're not only from the world, but they're actually from the spirit of the Antichrist. And the message that they proclaim will be enticing to those around them. Because we can determine a spiritual reality, we can now determine the origins of that, whether they're true or false teachers. Someone who claims to have spiritual knowledge and affirms Jesus, they're from God. Alternatively, if, if individuals proclaim secret knowledge, a special word, and deny Jesus, they are not from God, point blank. They will be in error, and consequently, people will follow them. Have you ever wondered why cult leaders are so popular? This is this spiritual reality behind the scenes at work. And John says, there's a spiritual reality behind that, and it's the Antichrist. John now turns to the last part of the rubric, is that we can now know truth from error by how people respond to the message of Jesus Christ based on apostolic authority. Verse six, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice in the transition from verses four through six, we see you are from God, you are from God, you are from God to now we are from God. John is reminding them that he is a direct witness of Jesus's life, burial, death, and resurrection. Let's go back to right at the very first sermon we preached in this series, 1 John 1, 1 through 3. This is John speaking of this reality, that which, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon when you have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ. Jesus Christ. John bases his authority on the fact that he knew Jesus. 
He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw him heal people. He actually saw Jesus crucified. And he was there looking into the clouds when Jesus ascended. Jesus himself gives John and the disciples around him the authority to proclaim his reality about himself. Therefore, John bases his authority on the work and the person of Jesus Christ, period. He was an eyewitness bestowed with spiritual power from Jesus. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. This authority, these biblical events, they're found in the biblical accounts of Jesus. We know the work and person of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later because John and the other disciples and other people wrote about him in what we call the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Christ City, we could easily read our text this morning and say, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to what he wrote in the Bible. And John could also negatively say, look, whoever is not from God does not listen to the Bible. That's how serious this is. John says that people respond to the message of Jesus. How they respond, rather, determines whether they're from God or whether they're not from God, whether they have the spirit of truth or whether they have the spirit of error. Now, a word of caution here. Please hear me on this. It is easy for us as believers to insert or equate our authority for John's authority our authority for biblical authority. And it's easy for us to proclaim judgment on others, ironically due to our mistakes and maybe even our stupidity, rather than rejection of the criteria of Jesus Christ. This is tricky. Been there, done that. This is is rejection based on, not maybe because we're insensitive or because we're not speaking intelligently, but is is it a rejection rather based on the absolute nature and claims of Jesus Christ? That's the criteria. I learned this the hard way. Early on in Greece, I worked with refugees, and they were from all over the Middle East. I decided um, to help me engage with them, I would take an Islamic theology course, and I loved it. It was amazing. Um, So I could better understand their worldview and and best know how to preach to them. So one Monday morning, or rather Monday evening, I was preaching uh, to about two to 300 Islamic refugees, primarily men, and thinking I was clever, I decided that I would test drive my new Islamic insights. And I, I proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, <laughs> came in flesh, died on the cross, rose again, ascended from heaven. I, I proclaimed that from the Bible, but also from allusions from the, uh, from the Quran. Now, as you can imagine, the response that I received wasn't quite always what I was looking for. You know, I was looking for accolades of wisdom and cleverness. No. What I received was a chant of 200 men screaming, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Now, not all of these men were Muslims, so what happened was some of the guys in the crowd didn't like this either, and so a fight broke out. I started a riot. And in the end, one dude had his head put through a window, and we managed to kind of clean it up. But at the end, I was met with death threats promises of how they would end my life in horrific ways. Now, I learned a couple of things that day. One, pragmatically, you should probably be tactful when you're speaking to other faiths. I was an idiot. Secondly, more importantly, I learned what John says in this text is true. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. I may not have been tactful, Christ City, but it's true. What I proclaimed about Jesus, Son of God, came in the flesh, and through him we can have life and a relationship with God. When I proclaimed that, the spirit 
behind the hearers wanted to end my life. Think about that. The spirit behind the hearers wanted to end my life. I don't know how to state it more plainly than that. This is how serious this is for us today. Christ City, as we move into point two, we need to remember and to hang on and to live by this text that I had running through my mind as I'm taking a circuitous route home, trying not to be followed to lead them home so they would kill me in my sleep. This was the verse that was going through my head. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ City, Jesus Christ, Son of God, come in the flesh right now. Right now, I don't blame you, but you may be sitting there in the comfort of your living room. You may be even in your pajamas still, and you're thinking, okay, I understand what you're saying about John here. I get it. It's weird, but I get it. I don't preach. I don't preach to Muslims. I haven't gone overseas. I've not been a missionary. I'm not charismatic. None of your stupid stories relate to me or my world. It's been COVID. Come on, man. How in my life and my world relates to a spiritual interaction, Heath? What you say may be true, but it doesn't relate at all. Regardless of the circumstances, Christ City, we have to distill, determine truth from error. Now, there's a quote that I ripped off from Brett a few weeks ago. I used it in one of his sermons, but it fits here. David, David Foster Wallace, he tells a story at a commencement service for a graduation. And he says this. He says, there are two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish. He's swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually, one of them looks over at the other and goes, What's water? What's water? Verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. This missionary endeavor of false prophets has gone into the world for 2,000 years. And their message is the water in which we swim in. If we are not discerning, there is a real, real danger that we will be just like the two fish, blindly swimming along, oblivious to the water. I'll even state it this way. We might even be a Christian enclave in the corner of the fish tank, but still swimming in the water. This is why we find it difficult to see and to test. We are not discerning Christ City. And I won't even talk about Christians and conspiracy theories. I won't even go there. Christ City, John gives us the tools here to see with fresh eyes more clearly the spiritual reality in the water we swim in. And it's polluted. It's polluted with narcissism. It's polluted with consumerism, radical individualism, a desire for personal autonomy. The toxin in the water is one that says, I am the one who determines for myself. I'm the authority. I decide. I choose. I'm the determiner of my life and destiny. I'm the determiner of my identity. And I certainly don't need an antiquated authority called this Bible to contradict me. And I do not want rules to enslave me. And this talks in Christ City is not from God, but rather from the world. Now, despite the many beautiful things in our culture, and there are a lot of them, and I love our culture, but the water's polluted. We are a Christian community swimming in the corner of a polluted fish tank. Do you see it? Do you see it? Or are we blinded? How do we determine truth from error, Christ City? You see, I think John is right here. The truth of Jesus proclaimed in the scriptures is a litmus test for confronting every whim or spirit in our culture. A pastor out of Dallas, Texas, 
highlights for us the importance of, of a discerning truth from error in our day. And he says this, if you are not confident in the authority of scriptures, you'll be a slave to whatever sounds right. If you are not confident in the authority of the scriptures, you will be a slave to whatever sounds right. You'll be unable to feel or see the water. Christ City, we're stuck, aren't we? If we're honest with ourselves, many of us still feel enslaved by certain things. And, and, and we're, we like whatever sounds right. There's so much noise, isn't there? I had a friend of mine who's struggling very deeply with faith. And he said to me a while ago, he says, Heath, if God's real, why doesn't he listen to me? If God is real, why then is the devil so loud? Why is God silent? If you're not confident in the authority of the scriptures, you'll be a slave to whatever sounds right. We don't need, we need to rather be reminded of the authority of the scriptures that testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ, the one who frees us from this slavery. This is what we call the gospel. This is what John means to confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Turn with me to a very famous text. Even if you're not a Christian, you probably heard part of this. John 3, 16 through 18. And, and John re says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does believe is condemned already because he has not believed in what? The name of the only son of God. Jesus perishes. Jesus perishes. He is condemned so we don't have to be. Jesus perishes, perishes so we can see the water. Jesus perishes and through him, if we believe, we can have life abundantly. Now, when you begin to see Jesus through this lens, through this water, you will see what, what the water is for what it is in our culture. So when interactions at work turn hostile, when you mention church or faith, and you'll, you'll know what that is. And when your neighbor suddenly goes cold and doesn't talk to you anymore because he's found out you're a Christian, maybe the words you say at the playground, the, the other moms, they'll say that it's labeled as hate, hate speech because you have a traditional marriage. And when you're fired from a job because you've had to actually had to stand up for your ethics and your conscience, and even when you have death threats set against you because you proclaim Jesus to a group of people who do not believe in him. Remember, remember, our culture is not biased to confessing in Jesus. And therefore, we should not expect that they will listen to us. And in that, you can be confident in the authority of the scriptures, regardless of how difficult it is, in the work of Jesus. And you'll, you won't be a slave to whatever sounds right. We'll be able to determine truth from error, Christ City. I want to close and remind you and leave you with the text that I, I, I said earlier, a text full of joy, a text full of hope, a text full of comfort that when the polluted waters of the devil, when they seem so loud and God so silent, we can remember this and rely on this and have joy to live by. Verse four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. Come in the flesh. It's only possible through him to determine truth from error. Let's pray. God, 
we confess to you that sometimes we don't like to see the water. We ask that you forgive us of that, but we ask that you would give us eyes to see the water, that you'd give us discerning spirits, and in the context of love, love appropriately, love generously, live our lives in such a way that even if people accuse us of wrong things, they will see our good works and be able to praise you. Lord, we ask of this of you. By your name, by your son who is at your right hand, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. This we pray, amen.